Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Thursday? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. The bonus edition, as I promised on Wednesday's show with Weldon, we've got a Georgia Tech preview with Robert Binion, who writes for Football Outsiders as well as Georgia Tech's SB Nation sites. He's a big um, advanced numbers analytics guy. Smart dude. I thought he gave a great preview and uh, a couple of different angles than your kind of typical game preview for uh, Ole Miss's first true road test against the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets on Saturday. So I think you'll enjoy that conversation. And then we did episode five of the Nick Broker Show. So Nick caught back up with this. Uh, kind of got his thoughts on the offensive line through two games, what it's like going on the road for the first time, and uh, kind of the state of the team through eight quarters of football this season. So good stuff from Nick, as always. I think you'll enjoy this show. Uh, buckle up. But before we get to that one, to remind you, the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel you to the Skybox, to the top of the sports handicapping industry, I should say. If you're uh, already down through two weeks of uh, wagering on college and professional football, you need to get Skybox to get you out of the hole. They're the professionals. They're, on, they're the only way to profit in the long run. Their method is proven. They go off the math, not based on a lean a couple minutes before kickoff as you rush to get a bet in as you see it on TV. You need to check these guys out. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range, whether that's month-long, season-long. You can go try it for a month, a week. Hell, you can even try it for a day. You can go sports-centric, all sports. Whatever the case may be, go to skyboxsportspicks.com, and they're going to have a picks package. Make this football season one of profit and not one of wondering where all your money went. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. We'll have fresh cuts with Skybox and LB's Greg on Friday, along with Ryan Buchanan, too. Um, Podcast is also brought to you by Matt Mims. Mims Insurance. Matt Mims is an independent insurance agent based in Oxford. Got an office just off the square, but he's licensed insurance agent to get you insured anywhere in the Magnolia State. Gas is expensive. Groceries are expensive. Everything's expensive right now. Why lose more money just because you don't understand the insurance process and what the best way to go is to get a quote. It can be confusing. There's a lot of options out there, a lot of different companies, a lot of different quotes. Whatever it is you need insured, whether it's a house, boat, congrats on the boat, that's pretty sick, plane, life insurance, I don't know what you got going on out there, but whatever it is, he can help you out. All you have to do is give him a call, and he will shop your shop whatever your quote needed quote is around the 10 different insurance agencies and come back with the best affordable one for you. That is his whole job. That's how he makes money off doing it. His entire purpose is to get you the best possible rate. So that's 601-218-7854. Tell him we sent you at Rippy Rights Podcast. He'll get you hooked up. That is Matt Mims, Mims Insurance. Anywhere in the Magnolia State, you need something insured. Check him out. 601-218-7854. Good guy. Longtime Ole Miss guy. Friend of mine. A Vicksburg native, just an all-around good dude. You need to check my friend out, Matt Mims at Mims Insurance. All right, here is Robert Binion on Georgia Tech, what the advanced numbers say about the Yellow Jackets. Coming off the triple option, Jeff Collins' tenure in Atlanta, and uh, a whole lot more. All right, we now welcome on Robert Binion. He's a writer for Football Outsiders as well as the SB Nation Georgia Tech blog from the Rumble seat. I really appreciate you giving me some of your time, man. Um, this is the first real opponent Ole Miss has had worthy of a preview. So uh, you're kicking off the season for us in a way. How are you? I appreciate you joining us. 
I'm doing well. I'm excited about this game. Uh, you know, Tech's first game of the year was against Clemson, and pretty sure it was going to be a loss last week against Western Carolina. Pretty sure it's going to be a win. And uh, this one uh, is definitely not a toss-up, but I think it's the most excited the fan base has been about one of the games so far this season. For sure. And I was talking to you a little bit right before we started recording, just kind of your background. I enjoyed your advanced statistics pieces over the first couple of weeks of the season. I'm not a huge numbers guy myself in terms of the way I write. Like I, I don't, I'm not like my strength is not being able to put numbers in perspective and what they mean. And I enjoyed what like you do and the guys that kind of do that as well. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. Cause it's a little bit of a different angle than your typical, I don't even know who covers them for the AJC anymore, but you get my point, kind of your typical newspaper writer angle. And Georgia Tech's a fascinating team because it seemed like, and maybe I just read the more optimistic side, when you read kind of the Athlon Sports or really any preview you could find, there was a little bit more optimism. And maybe that was just baked in the fact that they had to be better. But before we kind of get into like what's gone on in the first two games, what was kind of your outlook for this team? You got Sims at quarterback, a decent amount of talent on defense, and an offense that maybe it sounded like they hope would take a step forward, just kind of paint a picture of what you thought this team might be versus what they've actually been through two games. Yeah, I don't think that I would be accused of being in the overly optimistic camp by anybody on Twitter. Uh, I was I was pretty sold going into 2021 that things were really going to take a leap. You had Jeff Sims going into his second year starting, and I thought that the foundational pieces were really there to have a good offense, and you had – a lot of seniority on defense and thought things would be solid and it completely fell apart coming into this season. I think I pledged to myself that I was going to keep all of my predictions based on what the numbers were telling me, not let my heart and fandom get the best of me. And so I have been adamant that we are looking at three and nine again. Uh, that's what FPI says. That's what Bill Connolly's SP plus says. That's what my model has said is, is three and nine. And I haven't seen anything yet that's gotten me off of that baseline. So when you say your model, that's what I'm always interested about the numbers, guys, without divulging any sort of, you know, deep state secrets. What do you kind mm -hmm. of look at? What do you value when you're looking at some of the advanced statistics, which I, by the way, I should have teased it off the top. I'd encourage people to go check out. You can check it out on the SB Nation Georgia Tech site, as well as Robert underscore Binion on Twitter. But anyway, what do you kind of value and what do you look at when you when you kind of conduct your model? For sure. Uh, so I, I really started playing with this about two years ago, and there were three numbers that I was kind of initially interested in seeing what kind of predictive value they had. The, the first is just a very basic yards per play, right? We can get that out of the box score by dividing total yards by plays. And then uh, the second number is one that Football Outsiders created, and Bill Connolly has really popularized in college football, which is success rate. And so success rate says – if it's first down, did I get 50% or more of the available yards? If it's second down, did I get 70% or more of the available yards? And if it's third or fourth down, did I get all the yards that I needed to, to get a first down? Okay. And so what percentage of plays am I succeeding on offense with? And what percentage am I keeping the opposing offense to? And so an average number there is going to be about 43%. Uh, Paul Johnson's option offenses at Tech were – closer to the mid fifties, which is about the highest you're going to see just super efficient, able to get what they needed each time. And that's kind of what got me into to this is trying to see um, how good did that mean those offenses actually were? What does that tell us? Um, but then the third metric that's really gained a lot of steam is, is expected points added. EPA is how you're going to hear that talked about. 
And so EPA is trying to tell us, given my baseline state of first and 10 at my own 25, uh, did I improve my prospects for scoring on this drive by the outcome of this play? So if I get two yards and it's second and eight, that's going to be worth about negative half of a point on average, something like that. If I get 12 yards and now I've got a first down on my own 37, that's going to be worth about a positive half a point, maybe a little bit more than that, right? Because I'm in that much better of a game state after that play. And then we can average over the course of a game. You know, my average play is gaining me 0.2 points. That's a really good number. My opponent's uh, average is, is losing a tenth of a point per play, something like that. That'd be a really good number. Uh, and so I started with those three numbers. And so then I start looking at, okay, if I'm looking backwards at a team's averages of those numbers in 2019, 2020, 2021, what does that tell me about how good a team is probably going to be in 2022, right? So that's what I'm doing in the offseason. Um, it's trying to get a sense of what the past is going to tell us about the future as best we can. Uh, and so without going into all of the, the nitty gritty, right, of, of the details of that, I've, I've kind of pared it down to the couple of those that are the most predictive. And then we combine that with how much production you're returning and how difficult of a schedule you faced over the past few years to give us uh, an expectation for your team's rating for the season. So that's kind of how I'm building my preseason model. How much did that factor in about what they lost, right? I know the headliners kind of Jameer Gibbs going to Alabama. Ole Miss gets one of them and Jared Ivey. I don't I, I don't pretend to know, you know, everyone Georgia Tech lost off of last year, but I did kind of get the sense that I wouldn't say I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd go like mass exodus, but there did seem to be a decent bit of turnover at kind of a peculiar time for Jeff Collins. That can mean a lot of things. I don't necessarily mean to insinuate that it's you know, toxic or bad, but it, it does kind of have the makings of something that's like, okay, something might be up here. How did you factor that into kind of your predictions for the season and what is kind of the case there? Yeah, it's a great question. So this year, you know, is year four for Collins. It's really year three of his first full recruiting class, right? That 2020 class that had Gibbs and had Ivy and had Jeff Sims. Uh, and so really, this is the year that fans were looking to as kind of the, the culmination of when things would come together, right? You expect you're going to have your third year players in their prime. They're going to know the systems. They're going to be your top producers. Uh, and so you end up, you lose Gibbs, you lose Ivy, you lose Jordan Dominic, who's a little bit older of a kid uh, to, to Arkansas. And, and these are some, you know, they didn't have massive raw production just because the team wasn't very good. But these are definitely, you know, three of your six or eight best players for sure. Uh, you combine that with Sims not really developing and then missing about five games last year. Uh, Jordan Yates, who backed him up, transferred to Sam Houston State. So you throw all that in the formula and Tech was actually like bottom 20 in the country in returning production, which is not what you would expect with a, a roster as young as, as what they had. Uh, yeah, yeah, no kidding. And uh, particularly kind of three years in, right? Like you come off kind of a rough season and then you don't return anything. Sometimes that can be good, but that means you got to really attack the portal with a lot of urgency as well. What, what do you like? I, I look, I, it's weird to say, what do you attribute that to? But like, what is kind of the sense? Like, did that ring alarm bells amongst, you know, media fan base or whatever? for them to leave and then, you know, not to, it's not like, like Ole Miss's process guys. And look, they've had some guys leave that you don't want to leave. But a lot of times, like when Lane got first got there, people had to get used to the fact that this kid was productive on a bad team, but now they've replenished the talent. And like, this kid can't play here anymore. They've actually had a couple of them go to Kentucky and other places that didn't necessarily seem to be the case, right. With a guy like Gibbs, a guy like Ivy, what did that kind of raise alarm bells with people? 
And how was that kind of sold by the coaching staff, by the way, if they sold anything at all? So this is one of those situations where the prescription on the glasses that you're wearing determines everything about what you're going to see. Sure. Right. So you have universally, everybody admits Gibbs is a big loss, but you have kind of a third of the fan base that sees that as uh, next man up. Other guys are just as good. Tons of talent in the room. I don't think any objective observer would think that that's true. You can watch, you know, Gibbs catch nine balls against Texas on Saturday and you realize that's not tech has <laughs> nobody who could do that. Right. Um, so you have him clear step up, you know, go pro man, do what you're going to do. Thanks for being here for two years. Uh, there was a lot of frustration with the kind of Ivy level thing where it pretty clearly seemed like this is a situation where there's an NIL opportunity at Ole Miss from everything that I know, tech was not willing or able to match what, what was kind of being offered there. And so it's, it's one of those that shows you kind of the, the standing of your program, right? If, if you're not willing to kind of step up and keep a young guy around who could be a super productive defensive end for the next two years, like what are we really doing here? Uh, so, so there's that category that I think is discouraging for, for most fans. And then there's still, you know, eight or 10 guys that were still kind of left over from uh, the Johnson era that were more on that kind of being processed side of things and uh, went to either lower level opportunities or, you know, haven't even caught on anywhere. Uh, but you really had four guys. So Gibbs went to Alabama, Ivy to Ole Miss, Dominic to Arkansas, Wesley Walker to Nickelback that went to Tennessee. Um, those are the main guys that would have had significant value on the team this year, I would say. And uh, it's... It, several guys on the way out said that they were leaving on good terms, but that things were, you know, not stable, not going in the direction they wanted. You did get a kind of sinking ship analogy of like, look, I'm going to try to catch on somewhere that's on the way up. And this place seems on the way down. Yeah. That was the, the gist. For sure. And what's interesting about it is like you leave the Paul Johnson era and that's such a drastic change. Now, you know, two years in, you get the or two and a half, three, whatever you want to call it, and you get the whole transfer portal deal, which can change. You know, you can overturn a roster, right, and get it healthier or more accustomed to what fits your scheme a lot quicker now. Now, granted, Collins didn't really have the benefit of that because that's only come about in the last year or so, right? He had to go through the bulk of it. But, like, it doesn't seem like defense has been the issue since he's got there. I mean, Thacker, I believe, has been the same – same coordinator, at least. You, you, oh, so you disagree? You think defense has oh, been yeah. more of an issue than offense? <laughs> last year, last year it was real, real, real bad. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, so what is is it been as big of an issue as the offense then? Because what's what's been interesting is is the fact that I, you know I for someone that doesn't watch Georgia Tech on a week in and week out basis, and I know there a lot of hay was made maybe off of was that Clemson game in twenty or nineteen when they played them so close in. Clemson I can't remember. Oh, that was last year okay last 21. Year 21. yeah and so mm -hmm. I, I like for someone that doesn't watch everybody it seems like they're in it defensively to your point I guess and now you kind of look at the numbers from last year they actually do like did struggle a lot last year but the lack of kind of explosiveness on offense what do you attribute that to I know there's a lot of change right there's a whole different type of lineman you recruit to the triple option different guys with different skill sets is it past the point of being able to attribute it to that kind of take me through how that transition went and where it sits now for sure. Um, so 2019, the offensive line was not in power five shape, maybe not even in FBS shape. I mean, it was it was a complete disaster. So it, it's very fair to write off those initial failures on offense to just not having a, a legitimate line. 
Um, th there was one guy coming back from the 2018 team who was a really good player and he transferred to Texas and the cupboard was absolutely bare on the line after that. So you're really starting from scratch. And then you had three quarterbacks who were all recruited to, uh, you know, to play in, in, in Johnson's system. And they played musical quarterbacks for most of the season. The guy they ended up settling on was probably the best athlete of the three, but the least accurate pastor. And it, went about how you think. Uh, so 2019, I, I my only issue there is that they didn't try to get uh, a transfer at quarterback. I mean, even bringing up a, you know, a FCS guy would have been an improvement over what was left. So, you know, you're starting at the very bottom nationally uh, on right. offense after that. The defense was probably middle of the pack uh, FBS that first year. And really what you've seen is kind of gradual gains on offense and the defense is just absolutely bottomed out. And that's what's probably been most frustrating for tech fans is, you know, Collins is a defensive guy, defensive coordinator at Florida, Mississippi state hangs his hat on the defenses at temple. Uh, and, and that part has gotten worse each and every year. And so past defense wise uh, in terms of efficiency and that EPA metric I mentioned earlier, uh, tech was literally 130 out of 130 last year. You, you could not have been worse. Um, so that Clemson game was, you know, you mentioned was kind of a, a high point of like we might really have something here i think it turns out it was a it was a rainstorm monsoon level type stuff dju's not that good uh and the defense got worse and worse as the year went along and so at this point this is year four the offensive line there's been one or two transfer efforts each year to try to find immediate starters most of those have been guys who weren't getting playing time at other power five schools and they're not great um it's just been frustrating. The receiver position has been complete failure. Uh, we had one transfer from Northwestern last year, who's the best receiver we've had in this four-year period. It's it's bad again this year. The young guy we were counting on to kind of actually provide some game-breaking on the outside broke his wrist during camp and is out indefinitely. Um, and there's just no – there's nobody that's going to scare you on the outside. And Sims isn't good enough to overcome that at this point. And what, like, what do you attribute the fact that they haven't been able to kind of flip that um, defensively? I guess we'll shift to that side of it because it's more and more I look at it. I was just kind of playing wrong, right? I kind of looked through some of the stuff in 2019 and then you think about last year or whatever. You're right. I mean, it's it's been a lot of 30, 40 point allow, like allowing in there, which, you know, when you're not as explosive on offense, even if it's not the issue, that's, that's tough for even a really good offense to roll through. What do you attribute that to? Because again, that's not where the transition should have been. If you, you know, gave up 22 to 25 points a game and you're only scoring 12 because you just, it took time to get guys in there. Okay. Whereas you're not even giving yourself a chance. What do you attribute that to? Cause you mentioned he is a defensive guy. It's the, the initial staff construction. Uh, he definitely did not have the budget that a lot of other schools have. Uh, both coordinator hires were very shoestring. I mean, you're talking paying coordinators, you know, four and 500 grand when position coaches are making more than that at these higher level jobs. Right. And so there right. was, uh, you know, on, on offense, we get Dave Patnode, who's never really had a successful high level offense. And on defense, we have this young guy, Andrew Thacker, who's kind of Collins's buddy. And uh, he doesn't seem to, engender a lot of trust in the scheme communication across position groups 
guys seem to kind of freelance and go solo a lot and they're not playing within the, the bounds of, of what a scheme should look like. And so after last season, they fired the safeties coach and they fired the cornerbacks coach as kind of the, you know, the fall guys for, yeah. for what happened. And Thacker's still the defensive coordinator. Collins is supposed to be more involved. It's unclear what that looks like behind closed doors necessarily. Uh, but the the whole mantra has been cohesiveness on the back end, more trust, more professionalism. Uh, last year you had three senior starters in the secondary who absolutely did not deserve to be playing at all, much less playing every snap and nobody was willing to sit them down. And so this year they're gone, fresh start. I think the secondary is now capable, adequate. Uh, I don't think it's, you know, we're not shutting people down. We're not locking people down, but it's, uh, it, it seems like there's a level of competency back there that's encouraging at least. And whatever you think of DJ, I'm going to pronounce his last name wrong to the day I die at Clemson. I, I tried it throughout that Monday night game. Hell, the, the most electric thing you had was Klubnik come in there at the end, right? And it's like, oh, you got to got something here. That being said, they let put on a pretty good defensive performance. I know that game got kind of out of hand at the end, I thought. I thought they populated the football pretty well. They were, as you mentioned, better in the secondary. I don't know how much you make of that, of Clemson maybe not having a good guy at quarterback, but still, Clemson's got a lot of talented running backs and a lot of talented, a lot of talent on that offensive line, I should say. It just seemed like a product of they were placed on the field for far too long. I know you had some special teams issues. Like, what did you make of it? And was that encouraging despite the lack of offensive production? Yeah, 100% with you on that. I, I think coming out of the Clemson game, the defense was, you know, one or two notches higher than I expected. But I think the offense was a notch or two below what I expected. Uh, on defense, the the one uh, kind of game breaker type player that we've got uh, up front is, is a defensive end named Keon White. So he went to Old Dominion and had a, absolutely monstrous 2019 season um just you know tops in the country and tackle for loss kind of thing old dominion cancels their 2020 covid season so he transfers to tech uh breaks his leg playing basketball last summer and doesn't come back till like november and is you know just not had time to get in shape and not able to do much he you know has full off season fully recovered in great shape and and he's been killing it the first two games he had he had two sacks against Clemson two more against Western Carolina six or seven pressures on top of that and it's the first like consistent pass rush that we've had in nine years probably uh so that part's super exciting the defensive tackles are they're fine you know and and there's been years where fine would be a massive improvement from what we've had so that's that's okay uh we have one good linebacker big drop off after that uh, and he got ejected for targeting in the Clemson game and you saw that's when they started running the ball was after he went out and so he missed the first half last week against Western now he's back uh, Charlie Thomas is, is his name and so you, you've got two really good players the backups are not very good and so it's one of those where if Kiffin can get some tempo going and we have to sub a bunch uh, you're going to see a real drop off there's not a lot of depth there but the starters are the best they've been in a couple of years and I'm encouraged at just the the stability and the competence <laughs> what is the case for the offense ending up being better because I know it was a little bit of a sluggish start again last week after a tough performance hell I know I mean dating back to last year there was kind of a 
the touchdownless streak that you needed to get off your back. They finally get it off in the opener. That's never what you want. What is the case for them being better? And then what do you think is kind of the more realistic thing as you alluded to at the top? Yeah, the, the case for them being better is that you have an offensive coordinator who belongs in the power five. Uh, I don't I don't think, you know, Chip Long isn't uh, a savant necessarily, but he's got a lot better track record than what Dave Patnode had. Uh, he's more diverse in formations. He's more diverse with motions. He's he's going to try to trick the defense a little bit more. He seems to have a better understanding of, you know, the pieces that he has and how they can actually fit. Uh, I think where this offense is by far the most dangerous is if Sims is running frequently. I don't know if you caught any of our game against UNC last year, but uh, Sims came in in the second quarter in relief because that's when he was kind of battling back from injury and just ran through North Carolina. I think he ran for like 140 yards that night or something. And a blowout uh, win, by the way, that probably yeah, had to kind of be the high point. Th- that was absolutely the high point. I mean, we were – you know, on our site, we're writing articles. Proof of concept <laughs> has been achieved. Like we've made it. This is it. And then completely fell apart from there. So uh, we're going to, we're a little more patient on those articles <laughs> this year. But uh, if, if he can, you know, if there's 12 to 15 called runs for Sims, I think that's where tech can be the most explosive, uh, which may not be what you see for most teams. But right now, a Sims run has a higher upside than a Sims throw in my mind, uh, just because there's not that receiver that you've got to be terrified of. Um, our, our slot guy, Nate McCollum, is is solid. He's going to catch the ball. He's going to make people miss in space, but he's not uh, an absolute burner, take the top off kind of guy uh, that we just don't have that guy on our team right now. And so uh, if, if, if Tech's going to do well on offense, we're probably going to run the ball 40 times. Sims is going to be – 12 to 15 of those Dante Smith is going to be 15 of those and he's going to break one or two. And that's really where uh, the points are going to have to mostly come from. Yeah. The OC thing was weird because like before long, I don't believe um, David, but he had that he had not been in the power five until he got to tech. Right. Correct. He's like yeah. 55 years old. That's all. I noticed that when I was looking it up and I was like, that's actually kind of a, that's a wild path to kind of get there. You mentioned the buddy Thacker, coming from Old Dominion, that being kind of uh, that being kind of Jeff Collins' guy. I don't know if they knew each other well before that, but that seems like a similar deal. Like, how do you finally get your big break at 54 in that at that point? Yeah, when, when your budget for offensive coordinator is what it is for running backs, coaches elsewhere, then uh, that's, that's who you end up with, unfortunately. That's a fair point, and it's, it's dead out on long, right? I mean, at least he has Power 5 experience. Tulane's offenses were fun for a couple of those years, too. At least it was like an interesting – he was I mean he was the offensive coordinator for probably some of the best Notre Dame offenses it was just uh he and Brian Kelly apparently got to a a point where they just couldn't work together anymore it was more of a personality break than it was a performance issue and you mentioned McCollum in the slot that's been the most frequently used guy so far this year for a Jeff Sims passing game like what does that look like what is kind of the peak of what him opt like functioning at peak capacity for what he can do yeah peak capacity uh is you know, hitting eight to 15 yard glance routes, slants, skinny posts over the middle, RPO type looks. Uh, he has really struggled with his deep ball. I think he's he's thrown six balls that traveled 20 or more air yards so far this season, and he's completed uh, zero of them. Two of them have been picked off. Uh, and, and so – there's, I mean, and that's a combination thing, right? Where you don't have guys running open down the field, so he's going to force it. But 
really his best uh, his best work is if he can you know move around in the pocket a little bit. Uh, if he can get some play action working and he can work that intermediate area over the over the middle, that's where things start to get moving. Uh, and they've really tried to get the tight ends more involved, which schematically I think is great. They're just not that talented, and so it just it's not that effective. How do you see this kind of playing out this week from a matchup perspective? Um, I know on the Ole Miss end, look, Kiffin hasn't announced anything. I think most people that have followed the program would probably be pretty stunned if Jackson Dart were not the starter this week for Ole Miss. It's a pretty good offense on paper. The biggest question mark is, of course, at the most important position on the field, and I don't feel like we've learned anything. I think Ole Miss could be good, but I also think they could be not good, and I don't think anything in the first eight quarters of this season has told me otherwise. I Look, I think you saw some stuff from both quarterbacks. I didn't necessarily hate the strategy of the Jim Harbaugh. One guy gets one start, one guy gets the other. I just don't know what we've seen collectively from this team other than that they've appeared to hit the portal. Okay on defense again. I say, okay, good on defense again. And they're much better than they were, you know, pre-Kiffin years. And then offensively, it's a couple good running backs, a perceived good offensive line that I think has looked rather pedestrian and pass pro in particular. And then what else? Like there's this huge question mark there. And so I'm just curious from, I know it's a limited sample size, but how do you kind of see this matchup and how it plays out? I think tech is going to really struggle to generate any kind of explosives on offense. My, my sense is that, you know, that almost defense is they're smart, they're athletic, they know where to be, you know, tech, it isn't going to be just shut down smothered, I don't think, but but you're not going to be, you know, getting these 30, 40 yard gash plays uh, against that Ole Miss defense. And so that means, you know, you got to put together these efficient, long, methodical drives, which means not making mistakes, which is not our strong suit. Uh, we had <laughs> we had five false starts against Clemson. Uh, you know, since just throwing a couple picks, we're usually good for a fumbled snap here and there. Uh, and so I, I think that you know, Tech will be able to, to run the ball enough to keep it interesting. Uh, I don't think I, – I, I have a hard time seeing Tech playing from behind well in this game, right? I mean, if, if you're if you're kind of forced to throw, you know, Ivy, Johnson, these guys are getting to pin their ears back for the Ole Miss defense. Like, you're going to get free rushes at, at, at Sims. Our offensive line is not good. So, I, I think, you know, if Kiffin is willing to – uh, run the ball consistently, wait for the kind of play action shots, not force it with dart too much. Uh, that to me is a recipe that'll beat this defense. Uh, the, my preview article is going to go up Thursday morning and the score that I, I have in there is Ole Miss 38, Tech 24. Uh, that, that's the kind of game that, that it feels like to me where I, I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but I don't think that Tech's going to feel like they have a chance in the middle of the fourth quarter either. I'm a little bit I'm, – I'm in the same boat, too, and I'm a little bit interested in, you know, the, I mentioned there's a lot of prove it on offense. There's some defensively. They had to replace two really good linebackers, and while they were good in both games, they were a little bit susceptible to some running concepts that both Troy and Central Arkansas did. It wasn't anything ridiculous where – I mean, hell, I remember in 2018 Ole Miss played Kent State, and I think Kent State had – 35 points maybe in the first two and a half quarters and ran for like 300 yards that Auburn transfer that played quarterback for them was just running wild it's not to that degree but it was kind of like okay that's something to keep an eye on because they replaced you know two good linebackers in Chance Campbell and Mark Robinson with you know a non-power five kid in Troy Brown who's a little undersized but I think could be okay and then Austin Keys, Ashanti Sistrunk Kari Coleman's kind of an in-between guy that I think they're going to have you know they're teaching him to play inside but point being 
there's stuff there. I just, they haven't proved it yet. And that's one thing to where, you know, if tech does have success, I think it kind of comes there. And I think as you very well outlined better than I could is like tech's path to kind of being in this game and having a chance to win is that running the ball off uh, offensively well, and then just creating a couple of turnovers. I think Ole Miss has trouble in this game. If dart, who's been prone to make mistakes. That's kind of what's been holding this thing back a bad pick in the red zone or a bad pick in own territory. And then all of a sudden techs up, you know, 13, nothing or something. And you're like, okay, how did this happen? Can a team like that play out of a hole? I think they're good enough defensively. Just can they not mistake, make mistakes offensively? And that's what I'm fascinated to learn about this team. As we wrap up here, I'm just curious, what, what is, if, if there is three and nine and your model's correct or close to it, does, does Colin survive that? Oh, no way. Uh, it's, it's definitely gotta be six and six for him to get another year. That, that seems like, uh, a pretty well, uh, a pretty broad uh, agreement across fan base administration boosters is that if, if, if there's no bowl game this year, there's no, there's no year five. Um, I mean, it's the fan base is in an interesting state right now. I, I mean, honestly, a third of the kind of big picture fan base is completely checked out. Attendance is way down. Season tickets are like all time low. Uh, you've got a middle third who still loves tech and is a hundred percent sure that Collins is not it. So how quickly can we fire him and get on to the next guy? And then the other third is still holding on to hope that he's going to turn it around. He's going to win six. We're going to build to something next year. Uh, I, I'm probably more in that middle camp. I, I don't see it. I don't see the evidence that, that there's any improvement coming, but uh, it, you know, unless the quality of the team materially changes and we're going to know in the next three weeks, right? We have Ole Miss at home. Then we go to UCF. Then we go to Pittsburgh. It, it's pretty clear that these three weeks are going to define, you know, does he have a chance at another year? Or are we, you know, pretty much looking for a coach by the bye week? Yeah, absolutely. And I think when I opened their schedule, I, I, I thought maybe like, I don't know, maybe I went into it thinking, okay, this could be doable, but it's actually a weirdly tricky schedule, right? The Clemson game, obviously Western Carolina, but then it's like Ole Miss, at UCF at Pitt, whereas like both of those games are on campus, you could make a case, right? Because like I didn't think Pitt's looked great so far through two games by any stretch. And then UCF just lost to Louisville, but both those come on the road. You get Duke, Virginia at home. Those feel like absolute must wins if you're going to salvage anything. And then it's kind of the same deal. Could they beat FSU and George, uh, Virginia Tech? Yeah, absolutely. But it'd be a hell of a lot easier if that was at Bobby Dodd, right? They come on the road again. So it's a very weirdly tricky schedule. And you, you, you made it a good point there. I think you figured out the next three weeks, right? If you, if you have one win after those three games coming out, it's, I mean, that almost seems impossible. If you go two and one, okay, maybe you got a shot and one and two is kind of like, they better pull something out of their ass here type of yeah. thing. That's the way I kind of viewed it. No, I think that, that that's right on, um, you know, whether you're pessimistic or optimistic about it, I think people have the same, the, the same kind of level of demand or expectation or whatever word you want to use is, is, you know, you, you obviously can't be one and four. If you're one and four, it's over. You're probably losing the locker room. You're you're losing whatever goodwill you had left in the fan base. And so, you know, I, Collins knows that as well as anybody else. So hopefully uh, that means that, you know, there's there's something up the sleeve. I'm just kind of waiting to see what that might be because uh, he, he should have pulled that out about two years ago if there was actually something there. For sure. And though I, I got to ask you before you go. The last thing I have, the triple option thing, like I, I've never – like. I've always made like I always made like a half baked idea case that like hey Vanderbilt should go to this because that can't get any worse type of thing. How did like the fan base feel about it? Because I mean, when you win ten games your second year, I, I, you know if you lined up with 
10 offensive linemen and a quarterback and snapped it and ran forward. I think there's still a large portion of a fan base would take winning 10 games, no matter what kind of give me the, the feel of what that was like, that era and the end of it, and just the temperature of how people felt about it. I always find that fascinating in a big league like the ACC. Yeah, it was a blast for me. I was, so I was a uh, senior at tech during Johnson's first year and okay. we uh, were coming off, just frustrations of the Changeli era where it felt like we were talented and just could never kind of get over the hump. And so Johnson comes in in the first year, you know, wins nine, but more importantly, he beats Georgia. And that means everything to our fan base. You know, Gailey had been 0-7 against Georgia. Johnson beats him the first time in Athens. They'd been preseason number one. That buys you more goodwill than I, than I can express, right? Yeah. So, and, and then he parlays that into the next year where you win the ACC, you go to the Orange Bowl, and uh, people were – Loving life. Uh, then you have, you know, you lose a bunch of guys to the NFL after that year. It was the most talented class Tech had had in a while. Uh, and you kind of have a lull. And then he builds back up. He's got his guys in. 2014 is just absolute perfection. You beat Georgia again. Lose to an awesome Florida State team in the ACC Championship. You win the Orange Bowl this time. Uh, and, you know, this is where you kind of give Johnson the keys to the city. Uh 2015 was this perfect storm of injuries. Things fell apart. 2016 bounces right back up to nine wins and beats Georgia again. Uh, and, and just the ability to take these far less talented groups and out scheme the arch rival. It's like this man can do no wrong. And then it seemed like he just stopped recruiting. I mean, it just stopped by the, 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 the linemen couldn't cut, you know, like before you had these not as big offensive linemen that could still, you know, get down, get guys on the ground, create space. All that was gone. The quarterback position got really frustrating. We had like three good running backs who all had to leave the program and all this momentum just evaporated. And so I love Johnson. I love what his offense did by 18. It was clear that there was a need for a change and, you know, you, you pick the opposite of your ex, right? I mean, Collins is the opposite of Johnson in every way imaginable and it just hadn't worked. Uh, and that's that sucks. <laughs> was it fun? Like, I know you mentioned being a ton of fun. Of course, winning is fun. But, like, do you become – you obviously are very into football and you know, like, you know, the specifics of schematics and things like that. But, you know, on top of the numbers portion, do you – do, like, the casual fans become triple option experts? I'm just fascinated just, like – because, you know, you have the fans that drink a couple beers in the stands and you get third and long and you're like, run that play where the tight end goes over the middle. Like, that, you don't actually know what it is, but you kind of know what you want to look at and see – what does that look like with the triple option? Like, is that fun to understand? What was that like? Yeah. I mean, I, I think like anything else, you know, you have the the run and shoot, you know, Mike Leach stuff on the opposite sure. end of the spectrum. Like if, if your team is doing something, you're going to get invested sure. in figuring it out. And so you got, you've got people talking about counter loads and, you know, pin pull and like these, you know, different offensive line concepts. It's like, you would have never known what these things were two years ago, but because your team's doing it, it's interesting. You're going to try to understand it. You're going to understand why it does work some weeks, why it doesn't work other weeks. Uh, and in terms of excitement, I mean, you know, coming off of 16, we beat Georgia, we win the Gator Bowl against Kentucky. We open the season in the Falcons' new stadium on Monday night against Tennessee. And that was maybe the most tech fans I've seen in one building in a really, really long time. I mean, it was nuts. And you lose this crazy, crazy game in overtime. You have 650 yards of offense. That's fun, man. I mean, we probably threw the ball like seven times the whole game and ran for 520 <laughs> yards. Like that's that's fun. And people knew uh, 
people knew why the two point conversion play didn't work that, that lost us the game. Uh, and then it, it, it really just, it lost momentum from there. Um, the institutional support for Johnson dried up. You had athletic director changes, all that, that made it tough. They weren't giving him any money to hire a defensive coordinator. Uh, and, and so it was, it was time to say bye, even though, you know, people had been so all in for a while. I feel like there's also a misconception with it watching Army Navy every year and, you know, first one to two touchdowns wins. That's run differently and it's different with the, like that level of talent. I know it's still yeah. a, a talent gap in ACC versus the rest of ACC, but it's different and more explosive than what the service academies doing are doing to some degree, is it not? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, you know, Justin Thomas was the best quarterback in the Johnson era and he was like a high four star that was committed to Alabama but they wanted him to play safety. And Johnson says, no, come play quarterback for me. And he's like, absolutely. That guy's not getting into Army or Navy, right? Yeah. So th there was definitely a different caliber. And so, like you said, it it can be much more explosive when you put a, a little bit higher caliber guy in there. For sure. This was a ton of fun, man. I really appreciate it. Robert Binion, go check him out. SB Nation, Georgia Tech site, Robert underscore Binion on Twitter. I really enjoyed the advanced analytics stuff. Um, It was a very kind of I, like I said, I'm not good at conveying it, but when I read it and someone puts it in front of me, I'm like, this makes sense. This is a very interesting way to think about football. I appreciate the time, my man, and uh, enjoy Saturday, and uh, this was good stuff. Yeah, man. My uh, my brother's an old Miss grad, so it'll be oh, a fun family affair on, on Saturday, and really looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Enjoy the weekend. Like that was Robert Binion. I thought he that was a great interview. Smart guy. Really nice dude, too. Appreciate him joining us on the show. Uh, enjoyed learning a little bit more about the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Before we get to episode five of the Nick Broker Show, I want to take a quick break and remind you that the podcast is brought to you by our friends at BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a full-service online therapy option that can get you connected with a licensed therapist within 48 hours. You can go on camera. You can just go off camera. You don't have to go face-to-face -face if you don't want to. But uh, we put gas in our cars. We change the tires we get a little change, regular maintenance on our car. It's the same way with our brain. How your brain performs affects how you live. Therapy is a great option for anyone dealing with stress, anxiety, various things. Sometimes it's good just to get it out and talk to someone. BetterHelp is a great place to start. It's very laid back. Uh, shouldn't feel intimidated by it. Again, there's all kinds of different options. You don't have to go in person if you don't want to. And uh, you should check it out. Therapy is great. Uh, kind of help your brain out and perform better. Uh, so when you go on there, use promo code MPW. That'll get you 10% off. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see my man, Greg. If you're a Rippy Ride subscriber, that's rippyrides.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me, plus discounted meats. Uh, right now, it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's a hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Weather's slowly but surely getting cooler. Throw something on the grill. Enjoy the weather outside. Uh, and go use LB's to do that. He's got absolutely the best selection in Mississippi. Oxford's so lucky to have a place like LB's. Go find your own favorites, whether it's the tri-tip. I like the filet burgers, all kinds of delicious sausage. He's got fresh seafood. You need to go check him out. It is a treat. Uh, if you've uh, been around Oxford for a while, you definitely know about LB's. Go check our friend Greg out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is episode five of the Nick Broker Show. All right, welcome into episode, I've lost count, the next episode of the Nick's Broker Show presented by the Young Alumni Collective. Uh, glad to have Nick joining us again. Ole Miss is 2-0, and headed to face their uh, first real test of the season with respect to both Central Arkansas and Troy. What's up, man? How you feeling two games in? Feeling good. Uh, 
you know, like you said, 2-0 is not a bad start at all. So, um, you know, just still trying to get better every day, though. For sure. What's uh, – like, in terms of how you feel physically, kind of compare and contrast that to how you feel in camp. Because I know we talked about, like, the heat, and particularly when you're a younger player trying to keep weight on and all of those things. Two games into whatever the toll is for an SEC offensive lineman, how do you kind of feel compared to, say, I don't know, the end of camp when you're kind of switching into season mode? Yeah, I feel really good right now. Once you kind of get into season, you kind of really get, like, your <clears> – <throat> like your uh, routine down and everything, which has been good for me. And, uh, you know, body feels really good too. Like we're not really going at it every day like we do in camp once you're in season mode too. So, uh, yeah, no complaints on that side. Football is different than other sports because you guys play through so many different types of injuries, right? I mean, it's got to pretty be a pretty major injury for y'all not to be on the field out there. Whereas, like, I guess, for example, in the NBA, like, I mean, not to go the LeBron route, but if he, you know, pricks a finger or something they can just sit him on the second night of a back-to-back like it's just kind of different in that way is it like I don't know if you're necessarily thinking about this but like the further you can get into a season without some minor just kind of annoying like ding up type injury the better do you think about it that way at all I just I know you guys deal with so much nagging stuff I just wonder if it kind of gets annoying having to deal with that week after week because it's kind of bound to happen yeah definitely I mean especially some of those like lingering things that really don't seem like a big deal even like something as small as like rolling an ankle, like something you can definitely play through, but it's still at the end of the day, it's like not ideal to kind of have to like come in early and like get it worked on and then have to like play through it and kind of, you know, maybe be a step behind. Like it's kind of like one of those deals, like we always say, like, you know, it's not really a big deal to lose like a step like in football because like you can kind of make up for it. Like if you're in track, it'd be like a really big deal, but like you can kind of make up for it, but it's still not ideal. Like it's something you want to avoid as much as possible. You've been pretty healthy throughout your career. What's like the biggest injury you've ever had to play through? Um, I think I've like sprained a knee before and played through that. I think I like sprained my MCL, played through that last year. Probably broken some fingers, honestly. Have you missed uh, a game? I know I should probably know that. Have you mm-hmm. played every game of your career? Mm-hmm. That's what the absolute Iron Man. I was just thinking about that as I asked the question out loud. And I was like, I can't remember at any point since 2019 that you missed any period of time. The real reason I asked that is I've heard some wild stories about like dudes playing through stuff because you get like the tour it all going and mm-hmm. then like the way they're able to kind of like soup you up on game day. How real is that to where like whatever you have dealing with once you kind of get in whatever you want to call it from a game perspective um, in terms of the kind of right mind that gets you and how like how real is the fact that you just forget about it until the game ends and kind of the high comes down kind of literally and physically. Yeah. I mean, there's so much adrenaline going through, like you don't really feel a thing throughout the game. And then it's like one of those deals, like for me, it's normally like right before I go to bed, depending on like the game, like if it's an earlier game, I'll be like right before I go to bed or like the second I wake up, I'm like, wow, like, Okay, I'm pretty sore. <laughs> kind of one of those deals, but like we never really think about it when you're going through the game. Yeah, I was just like I was thinking about that the other day. I talked to Jackson Dart's dad for a story for a little bit, and he was talking about his injury at USC, and he injures it on like the third drive of the game in that Washington State game, and he plays through all of it. They have a great game. It was kind of a big moment for him early in his career, and he's like, I couldn't even really feel it. I started to feel it like after the game we'll just figure out the knee thing later, but it turned out like he literally had a torn meniscus, like a grade two MCL sprain, like a major knee injury that he was just like, right. we'll worry about this later. But then on Sunday it was like, actually, Oh shit, this is, this is actually a serious thing. 
Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. I mean, um, so through two games, I was just going to say, how, the, um, how have you kind of felt you guys have played as an offensive line, kind of the gelling? I know you got some new pieces, some returning pieces. How's that kind of gone for you guys? Yeah. I mean, I think the big thing is we grew a lot from week one to week two. And it was kind of all of us, like, playing different positions, really playing in a true game. Like, we can practice as much as we want and do things like that. But the game's always a lot different than practice. So, um, but it was good for us, you know. I think we've gotten a lot better, and we're really on a on a good trajectory going up. I'm sure I've asked you some version of this before, but you know, you guys played Troy, a Sun Belt opponent that's actually kind of gone down in the last half decade and beaten some good programs, right? You know, the LSU, Nebraska, all in the last half decade. I know Sunrall's in his first year there. Um, they kind of have a little bit of rebuilding, but they had some talent on that defense. So, like. It's not necessarily as much as that one. It is one like Central Arkansas, where a team that, you know, they're coming to play because they need the check or whatever and get reps and experience, but they're kind of out of their depth. How do you guys gauge how you play as a football team when the opponent's like that? Because I guess to actually to use Troy as an example, y'all could have run from the untrained eye for 900 yards on Troy if y'all wanted to. You kind of tried some passing concepts and stuff in the second half. I'm just curious as an offensive line, kind of how you guys try to grade yourself you know, when the opponent is not SEC caliber, we'll call it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you said, I mean, we're, you know, we scored 59 points, but like we probably should. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's kind of what we expect against a team like Central Arkansas. But um, like things like a game like that, you know, we try to just pinpoint and make sure our technique's still really good. It's not just like, oh, we're, you know, superior in terms of like, okay, like we might be faster, stronger. Like, we still want the technique to be there. So that's kind of, like, main things we look for. And it's not like we're just kind of going through emotions. We still want to treat it like it's a, you know, a very important game because they all are. Is it as easy to see mistakes on the offensive line in real time, whether it's Thornton or one of you guys, whereas, like, say if a receiver misses a route or the quarterback makes a wrong read, like everyone on the sideline can kind of see that in real time. You kind of see him either get onto him or correct him. Is Thornton, like, correcting you guys in real time? How much harder is it to see kind of an offensive line mistake in real time versus, you know, kind of a skill position thing where they're kind of out on their own on an island? Yeah, I mean, we could definitely tell. And obviously that's kind of what Coach Thornton's really focusing on is, like, making sure we're um, doing our job. And our grad assistant, uh, Hunter McKay, he's up in the box, so he can kind of see things that, like, none of us are able to um, pick up on. So he's able to communicate with coach Thornton then he'll relate to us as kind of like a we're all kind of communicating with each other about what happened out there is that ever like an eye in the sky thing where maybe you had a minor slip up but the play still works out and then you go to the sideline you're like I hope you didn't catch that like how often is that is it a pretty high success rate that he's catching whatever mistake it is yeah I mean they'll, they'll catch everything <laughs> <laughs> really so like they don't even take film pretty much in real time like if you have some like mistake they're like I we like they see it there's no missing yeah anymore. and they'll try to correct it if it's a if it's a scheme thing or like a look maybe we didn't see um or if it is just us simply just going like the wrong way or whatever like it, it's addressed pretty quickly I was going to ask you about that piece of it how real is like the kind of in between drops real-time adjustments where like I imagine if like a defense or something kind of comes at you guys with something maybe you didn't expect from film or a game plan perspective and you're kind of like are in the moment are you kind of like I, what the hell is this and then you get to the sideline and regroup like how much are you able to kind of make adjustments like that on the fly do y'all I know in the NFL they got the iPads because you see the, all the uh, you know highly paid guys slam them down, which I always think is a nice little fun sideshow in a game. Do you all have like real pictures and slideshows? What's that kind of like adjusting to a scheme or a different attack within a game? 
Yeah, I, I don't think we have any on the sideline. I don't know how that works in the box or not, like if we can have them or not, because I've never, obviously never been up to the box. I don't know what the rule is on that or anything like that. Um, but, like, when we come to the sideline, like, that's one of the first things we do is we communicate with coach, like, hey, this is what we ran on this play. This is what we called. This is what we saw. This was our technique, things like that. So we can kind of first all be on the same page so he's not wondering what we were doing out there. And if there's anything we need to adjust as far as what we're doing, we can kind of get that done too. I've asked you about the running backs a couple of times throughout various iterations of the show. I think everybody kind of got to see that in game action with all three guys really, but I know they Bentley and Judkins have really kind of stood out just kind of how the both games work, not, or excuse me, that Judkins and Evans have really kind of stood out. Not that Bentley's been bad at all. What's it been like playing behind or in front of all three of those guys in actual game action? Cause I know a lot of people listening have, have kind of seen it with their own eyes for the first time. We're like, damn that those guys are pretty special. Yeah. Those guys are really big time. It makes our life a lot easier. And just when we can just get the right blocks and everything under control, I mean, they have the potential to really hit anything big, like really whenever. I mean, they have that big play capability anytime they get the ball. So um, it makes my life a lot more fun for sure. What is kind of the subtle stuff that you guys notice as run, like as run blockers, like with a good running back, if that makes any sense at all, to where it's like, I don't know, if you go through a play and you, I would say you run behind Zach Evans, for example, consistently enough. Like when it's a really good running back, do you notice notice certain things when he's running off of you or whatever? And you're like, damn, this guy's a little different. Yeah, definitely. I feel like a lot of it too is like how they hit, like for me at least, like my personal opinion, a lot of it starts with kind of like how they hit the hole. Like if they're going like downhill and a lot of it's vision too. Like they can kind of see things other people can't or they have like a almost like a sixth sense of like what's about to happen. Um, like whether it's before snap or during the snap about like where they should hit, where they should hit it. So that's like one thing that, you know, they do a really great job of. And I think more than anything, they try to finish every run too. You know, they're not trying to run out of bounds. Like even if they're on the sideline, they're going to try and finish it and get an extra two or three yards because things like that really add up. One thing I noticed the other night, so like the, I can't remember, I guess it was the Troy game and Dart throws the interception is there a protocol to what you guys have to do other than just get that guy's ass on the ground? Like, is there anything you're taught when that someone throws a pick, like how to get the guy on the ground? Are you trying to pad tackling stats? How does that actually work? Yeah. I mean, there's kind of some technique to it. I mean, we, we try our best. Um, typically the way it works is if it's thrown the tackle, like whatever, wherever side it's caught, like the tackle runs kind of at like an angle towards that sideline or to that pile line. Okay. Um, and then kind of the rest of like the other three are kind of like just get the ball. Um, yeah. <laughs> like that was like the one area I could, when he threw it, like I immediately just sprinted. Like he caught it on like the way we were looking at it, like the right kind of like almost to the hash. I just started sprinting right to the sideline because he was running that way. Um, just because that, that's what I'd always done at tackle. But it's things we talk about. It's more of like a just get the ball and get effort kind of deal um it's because like it's kind of a chaotic thing like they're kind of taught to block like i'm sure defenses are taught to block once there's an interception but none of them really think about it when it's happening or have like an exact technique of what they're doing so um mainly just get the guy down with the defense go out there is kind of the main principle of it obviously it's something you don't hope you have too many chances at but do you have a recorded tackle in the career is that something that sticks out 
Yeah, I actually do. I think oh, against, yeah, there we go. for Vanderbilt, we had like a snap mishap and he, and, uh, one of their D linemen picked it up and tried to run with it and I tackled it from behind. Punt returner, defensive lineman, in addition to guard, you could really up the versatility heading into, uh, heading into your uh, professional days here. So uh, maybe add some tape. If they ever do throw a pick, you got to be the guy that pancakes them, just balls to the wall. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so as you guys are going on the road for the first time this uh, this season, and I know we talked about, like, the walkthrough aspect of it with Kiffin last time. I think he mentioned in a press conference, like, hey, we did the – I forget what you guys call the Friday thing, but, like, I realized none of these guys have done this before. What is that go into the road games too, or is it kind of just like, look, you get on the bus, you go to Tupelo, you go to the hotel. Is there certain stuff you really need to know on the road at all? Uh, for us, it's not super tricky. We try to keep it the same schedule as far as like what we do at the hotel between home and away games. The only difference is we're not staying at the end for away games. Um, like I said, like you said, we'll go to Tupelo and fly. Um, other than that, like, I mean, there's really nothing terribly different as far as like the actual schedule itself other than when we have to travel honestly okay and then are like roommate wise how does that work do you get one for the season do you guys rotate every game like how does is it assigned how does that go yeah we typically get assigned roommates that last the whole season yeah who snores uh royce newman snored a lot damn that was a quick answer that's how you <laughs> Yeah, shout out to Royce. He's doing really well up in Green Bay. It's been fun. Yeah, to he is. Today. So yeah, he was he a is. big snorer. Is that is that the only one? Like that that seemed like a pretty concrete answer where it's like might throw. Uh, the only guys I've roomed with on the road are I roomed with Royce my first two years. Roomed with Ben. Um, and then when Ben got hurt, I roomed with Casey Kelly. Now I room with Eli Acker. Honestly, I've been pretty fortunate. Like Royce snored, but like. I always just fall asleep through it anyways. Like, sure. and most times I fall asleep before my roommate does anyways in most circumstances. So like, I never really pick up on it. Is it ever hard to fall asleep the night before games? Just cause you're like in there, like, you know, it's coming and it's almost at that point, you guys are just trying to kill it time till the show starts type of thing. Like it's not like jitters, but like, I imagine there's some like apprehensions where it's like, damn it. Like, Probably a lot of thoughts going through your head, not necessarily in a bad way. I'm just curious if it's harder to fall asleep on game night before games than most normal nights. Yeah, I would say so. It's typically a little harder to fall asleep. It takes like a, a little extra time. For me, it was especially hard like my freshman year. Like it kind of took me a little bit of time sometimes. It's like some nights when I was a freshman, I fall asleep because I was super excited to get to play. As I've gotten older, like I've kind of just figured it out, like a good way to fall asleep, honestly. For sure. I know you guys prepare the same way as best you can for every opponent, but you have a road game this week. You get a really good Kentucky team the week after that. And then it's kind of kind of off or excuse me, sorry, Tulsa in between. But like point being, like it really kind of starts to get off to the races here and like you kind of get in easing into the teeth of the schedule. Is there y'all probably don't talk about it, but is there like a, a like a subconscious, whatever you want to call it, mindset change in practice when you kind of start to get to this part of the schedule and you know that, like, hey, every week we're going to be kind of in a dogfight here? Yeah, definitely. I mean, as especially for some of those games, like you said, we, we prepare for everybody the same. But, like, some of those games, like, you can tell, like, there's a little bit of extra energy, a little bit of extra juice, that practice and everything. So, as you guys head into this week, Georgia Tech had a really good – um you know, they played really well defensively in their opener against Clemson, struggled a little bit offensively. 
Is it harder at this point in the season where you're playing an opponent where there's maybe not as much tape on them? I know it's not a first-year head coach, but like this version of this year's team, I imagine you can gain some stuff from, I think they played Western Carolina last week, but when there's just a limited sample size in general, no matter the opponent, is it harder to kind of prepare for a team earlier in the year than later? Yeah, a little bit, because like you said, like there's not a whole lot of tape, especially that's why week one's always so tricky because you're trying to pull tape from like this year, we were trying to pull uh, tape about Detroit players, but also, you know, had new defensive coordinators who's from a different school. Um, that is, that is kind of nice that Georgia tech has played two games. So we kind of have two games to kind of revert back to. Um, so, um, but like you said, like, once you get later into the year, like once you kind of hit like, a few weeks in the season, I mean, there's definitely more established, like, okay, we know what they're going to do now. Kiffin got asked about this in a press conference on Monday, and it was kind of a silly question, like, for the uh, setting, I'd say, about, like, the upsets in college football and just his thoughts on it. It's like, I'm pretty busy here, my guy. But I'm just curious. I know you guys keep up with some stuff, and you had, obviously, A&M go down, and then Alabama played kind of a really tough game there in uh, Austin, like, is, do y'all ever, like, pay attention enough to think, like, okay, maybe this thing's a little more wide open than we thought? Like, you know, it, it just seems like there's a sense that the West is pretty even and maybe more even so than it's years past. Do you guys as players, even if you're not necessarily consciously thinking about it, can you sense that stuff on a week-to-week basis? We, we kind of look into it a little bit as far as, like, who's winning and everything. Like, obviously, if there's, like, a big upset, we get the ESPN notification like everybody else, and we have Twitter, but – um at the end of the day we just kind of focus on ourselves and winning what we have to do like doing whatever it takes to win on Saturdays do y'all get to watch much football because that was actually I mean y'all had it way worse than I did but I was like a full-time reporter like unless there's an 11 o'clock game I wasn't really watching much because we get there at one and then probably the game ends at what six and you're riding till eight y'all's obviously is even worse like in terms of early and late portion of it to some degree do y'all watch a ton of football or is it mainly when you're just playing early games Mainly when you're playing early games, like you can kind of catch like a later game. If we play a night game, we might get like a little bit of downtime in the afternoon to like stay in our room. And if that's the case, then we'll watch a little bit. But um, don't really get a chance to watch a ton on Saturdays, honestly. Yeah, that's what I figured was um, probably the case. Do you have a favorite part about playing on the road? Like it seemed like last year, particularly that team, you guys kind of relished that, right? I mean, winning in front of 110,000 people in Knoxville and you know, a couple of the other places you guys went and won at had to be pretty satisfying. Is there a favorite aspect of playing on the road for you? Yeah, I kind of like it because it's kind of just like truly us. Like, I mean, obviously we have like some fans that will come to away games. I yeah. mean, obviously there's way more fans for whoever we're playing at. But I mean, at the end of the day, it feels like it's just us and just whoever's in that locker room. And it's kind of fun having that kind of like chip and uh, traveling and just in a way you get to spend more time with the guys. I mean, you're on, you're on the bus to Tupelo, we get the whole flight and then we'll get some time at the hotel. So that the, the road trips to me are always really fun. For sure. Um, kind of just wrapping up, I guess, like the football portion of it here, you guys had a high expectations on this offensive line. And I think you guys have met them pretty well so far. I mean, look, it's two games. I know the schedule is about to stiffen up really quickly but like can you can you sense among like the other five guys the other six guys all all the kind of guys in the rotational mix that you are kind of trying you are ending up forming as good as you thought you might be like do you feel pretty good about how all of that is coming along yeah I think we're in a good spot now I still think there's a, a whole nother level we can get to 
honestly. But I think, you know, two weeks in, we're in a pretty good spot, yeah. And obviously, I mean, with the way you guys run the football, I imagine that's got to be fun to play linemen, right? It's kind of – I mean, look, I, Kiffin's offenses are explosive in a multitude of ways, but it seems like this team really has a chance to form an identity around running the football. Is that kind of fun as an offensive lineman to have that identity? Because no oh, one's yeah. ever calling you soft if you run it right over somebody. That is for sure. Yeah, no doubt. That, that's something you really take a lot of pride in, this kind of running the ball. I know you're a lot of online classes. I ask the campus question every week. Are you getting the buzz of just football season kind of coming up on campus 2-0? and Do you get yelled at on campus ever? Not in like a bad way, but just like, hey, what's up, Nick? On campus, a little bit. more. Not, not so much like when I'm walking to class, honestly. I think people just – like whatever, like, like I'm just here to go to class at that point. Um, but like during the walk, yeah, like there's a lot of people. But like when I'm like just like walking around campus, it's going like from class to whatever, like or whatever. Not not a ton, but a little bit. Even whether it's home or the road or the walk of champions or whatever, can you hear like some of the crazy stuff people yell at you? Whether it's like funny or whatever. I know you guys are locked in and are blocking it out, but like even in like warm ups, like can you hear people like yelling in your direction and all of that? During the walk, yeah. During warm-ups, not really. I'm kind of pretty laser-focused on what we have to do, so don't really hear a ton of, like, warm-ups or anything like that. Does the walk ever get old? I imagine that's probably, like, a new uh, new world every time. Yeah, it's always pretty cool. That's something that doesn't really ever get old. And you, ever, you don't really ever get tired of it. They get you guys there through pretty quickly. I remember when I was a kid, like, they would, like, have guys, like, like people in the crowd, like, try to hold them up. I think – Kind of Lane Kiffin plain style. I remember um, someone handed, maybe it was Mike Espy, like their child. Have you ever been handed a baby? Has anything ever happened weird on the Walk of Champions? I think I did take a picture with the baby one time. Really? <laughs> uh, Give it back? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I haven't really been held up. I mean, I obviously, whenever I see my family, I'll, like, you know, walk over and spend like a minute or two with them before I um, – I have to go do the rest of the walk. But other than that, like, don't really ever get stopped unless, like, I'll maybe I'll steal. Like, I have a couple of really good friends from home that go to school here that I'll maybe stop and see for 30 seconds. But other than that, I just kind of walk straight through. Lane dresses to the nines for that sucker, too. Have you ever played for a better dressed head coach? No. <laughs> I don't think there's much of a competition. I don't, I don't think there's, I don't think there's many else in college football that dress like him, to be fair. And you probably won in the NFL because those dudes are just yeah. wearing T-shirts these days to coach the games. Mm -hmm. That may have peaked in that sense. But, the, uh, yeah, Kiffin's fashion get-up is pretty solid. How would you rate Juice's um, walk down the walk of champions? I did not see it personally. I saw some video of it. How, how did that go? It looked good. I mean, there was no mishaps. I mean, he stayed pretty focused. So he, had, he was on a little leash. So he did really good. Hell, yeah. So the last thing I kind of have for you is just um, – I know we talked a lot of offense. You guys are on the sideline. I know you're kind of focused on other stuff when the defense is on the field. But one of the things I've noticed throughout these first couple of games is how remarkable they've done on the defensive side of the ball, hitting the transfer portal. I mean, you can tell that Coleman's going to be an impact guy already. Troy Brown has been really good. Is it, is it kind of like, I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on the amount of guys they were able to pull in from the portal that just kind of hit that's three years in a row now it's really incredible because that's not a guaranteed thing at all I imagine it's a little easier than high school because they're growing in their body more you probably have some game tape but it's pretty remarkable what they've done with that I'm just curious if you've noticed that at all because 
the defense as a whole has gotten a lot better since you stepped mm-hmm. on campus. I thought Mac did a good job at 19 for the record. It kind of bottomed out in 18. But I'm just curious, like, what are your thoughts on that and if you've noticed it at all? Yeah, but the defense is light years better since I've been here. Um, they've done a really great job with getting in good talent, getting coached up, and doing what they're supposed to do. So that's been really, really fun to see. Like, I think they've probably both had good points the whole year through two games. So that's been really cool. They talk about a lot kind of trying to build cohesion and culture with a lot of the new guys. Does that stand out at all? Like, do you guys do more stuff to try to kind of be cohesive as a team when you have so many guys coming in and out year over year? Because you came yeah. into college football and it is an interesting time, right? It's a whole different world from your freshman year in that sense. Yeah, definitely. It's, things have changed a lot since I've been in college. Like you said, it's, it's night and day from when I was, you know, getting recruited to where it's at now and you know we try to do as much as we can to kind of get together and hang out with each other because those relationships are important like you know kind of having that relationship off the field just makes everything easier on the field so we try to do as much as we can to you know get to know each other I finally found a place to live here permanently as I look around amongst these boxes I haven't unpacked but when I do have to get out of this place can I put the Nick Broker for sale sign up in the yard maybe get a little photo of you in a suit absolutely Nick Broker my realtor uh, SEC guard Ole Miss uh, standout. I appreciate the time as always, my man. Uh, good luck this week. We'll chat again soon and uh, look forward to uh, watching you play on Saturday as always. Thank you, Aton. I really appreciate it. All right. That was Nick Broker. I appreciate his time as always and becoming my uh, real estate agent. That's going to do it for our show today. We'll be back with Buchanan and Fresh Cuts tomorrow, that being Friday. So uh, bonus pod for the people this week as we got a lot of content to get out before the Rebels' first real test. So thanks for making this podcast a part of your day as always, and uh, we will catch you again on Friday.